Welcome to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast, the home of behind-the-scenes interviews, stories, and memories that celebrate the heritage of the great game of hockey. The Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is hosted by Mark Willand. Our first ever guest on the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast is the sniper, Blaine Stash Stoughton, who had two 50-goal and two 40-goal seasons with the Hartford Whalers, along with a 52-goal campaign with the WHA Cincinnati Stingers. In addition to talking about his career highlights, we discussed his first impressions of two 17-year-old teammates in Indy, Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, the suspension for his attack on the notorious Paul Baxter, and somehow, Playboy Bunnies, Cheryl Teagues, Carol Alt, and even Cher make their way into the interview. Stash, let's pick things up in 1976. You're with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're with a good young team with Landon McDonald, Boyer Salming, Daryl Sittler, and others. You make the decision to jump to the World Hockey Association with the Cincinnati Stingers in a relatively untested market. I was curious what your thought process was in jumping leagues. Yeah, uh, well, obviously, it's uh, like any other contract issue. It's it's uh, 90% of it, your, uh, your disagreement is about uh, money and, and uh, how long the contract and one way, two way. Because I, you know, I wasn't at that juncture. I wouldn't wasn't considered as a as a. Uh, I was only my third year, considered as a you know, automatic uh, starter, if you want to put it that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that became an issue, and uh, I was uh, and I was single living in Canada. Uh, the taxes were very high in Canada and, uh, I just got, you know, twice as much money, uh, longer term. And, uh, my taxes were cut like 30%. So it was, uh, you know, you look back, maybe, you know, WHA, should I stay in the NHL? I don't know, but you make those decisions and, uh, it worked out for me. I married uh, uh, married a girl from Cincinnati. My kids grew up here. So, yeah, uh, I got no regrets, really. Right. You shouldn't, um, seeing how you married Cindy Stoughton. And there are no Correct. regrets there. Yeah. So <laughs> you wouldn't have met her otherwise. No. Um, no. What, were, what were your first initial thoughts of the WHA, of uh, the Stinger organization, and perhaps the comparison of the caliber of play between the two leagues? Yeah. Uh, well, I was very fortunate. Uh, it was, uh, our franchise was like some of them never struggled financially. Uh, the, in fact, the owner, uh, comes from, uh, old, old Cincinnati money, uh, Bill DeWitt Jr. His, his dad owned the Reds years ago and, uh, Mr. DeWitt owns the uh, St. Louis Cardinals now. So we never struggled in terms of are we going to fold or are we going to get paid or any of those kind of things like other uh, funny when you're in a non-traditional hockey city like Cincinnati. Yeah. You watch the, the sports and they talk about high school basketball before they talk about hockey. You're going, <laughs> it's just a, uh, right. Just an environment you're not used to. And uh, so was, we used to laugh about that all the time, but yeah, you get used to it. Uh, now the pressure you know, there's two ways to look at it. There's less pressure in a market like this too. And, uh, 
you know, same when I was in Hartford. You know, there's less pressure there is in like New York or Toronto, Montreal. And uh, so, yeah, you adjust. And uh, I really, really enjoyed it here. We had a young team. I think we only had like three or four married guys in the whole team. So we're all young. You know, we enjoyed our own company and going out after games and stuff. So, yeah, I enjoyed my time in Cincinnati. I still live here, actually. Right. It was sure was an exciting time. I mean, I used to listen to the games uh, on radio, Radio 700 WLW with Andy McWilliams. Yeah. And um, yeah. it was uh, it was a, a fun and exciting uh, team that year. You started out, of course, um, eventually on the LSD line with uh, Richie LaDuke and uh, Rick Dudley. And then ended up yeah. on what they call the bunny line with Greg yeah. Carroll and yeah. Peter Marsh. Perhaps you can tell the folks how that name came about. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, uh, it's a funny story. I was, I was going out, uh, with a, a friend of Cindy's, uh, just before I met Cindy, the Playboy Club. And, uh, she, uh, uh, the girl I was going out couldn't make it to a, it was a boxing, uh, promotion. And, you know, the, they go around putting up, uh, what round it is. Right. And, uh, so Cindy was, uh, one of the uh, ring girls and you know this is before cell phones so and so the girl I was supposed to meet after the game she couldn't get a hold of me so I'm sitting there sitting there waiting for her after the game and I can't see her and then all of a sudden Cindy walks up there <laughs> so that's how I met her and uh, so then uh, we started hanging around the Playboy Club and eventually Greg and uh, and Marshy end up dating some Playboy's funnies too, so yeah. <laughs> it's good to be a stinger in '76, that's for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we had a lot of fun. But you know, it, kind of an interesting scenario unfolds from there. Um, we go into the off season, the NHL WHA merger, uh, which included the Stingers originally, uh, doesn't happen. Um, and then an interesting dynamic changes with the Stingers. You add some great classic WHA talent, Robbie Fatorik, Pat Stapleton, among others. Yeah. But you also add a head yeah. coach, Jacques Demers, uh, who is yeah. known for being a uh, defensive-minded coach with the Indianapolis Racers. And it seemed to me at that time to be kind of a mismatch for the, the talent that you had on the team. I was curious uh, if you agreed with that, what your thoughts were about that transition. Yeah. Uh well, it's funny because uh, I lived here in the summertime. There's uh, me and Dudley were the only guys that lived here in the summertime. So I was here when they hired him, and I went out. Like we played golf together or something, and uh, you know, he told me we're going to play more de- defensive. But don't worry, you know, if you don't score goals, that doesn't matter. Well, that was that wasn't true because I ended up getting traded. But uh, but I learned a valuable lesson from that. I uh, from moving forward, I said to myself. I'll always, I'll listen to coaches, right. And try and implement their game plan. But inside that game plan, I'm going to play my own game. And, uh, that's, I learned a valuable lesson that, that when I, uh, listened to Mr. Demers, which, which helped me as I move forward. Right. It was a, um, interesting time. I recently ran into Paul Stewart. You were talking about it, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Your your franchise, the whole thing went from Dennis Sobchak, Blaine Stout, and Claude LaRose to 
all of a sudden it's Paul Stewart, uh, Bruce Gregg, Alf Handrahan. Um, <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden we go yeah. from one extreme to the other. <laughs> and I was curious, the game that kind of set that off was the Thanksgiving night massacre down at Birmingham. Yeah. And uh, I was curious yeah. if you had any memories of that game. Yeah. No, I remember it vividly. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, the Birmingham, uh, they had, they had a lot of young guys back then and they had a lot of tough guys be- because they, they didn't want the, these kids were 17, like Mark Napier and kids like that, Ricky Vave. So they had a lot of tough guys, uh, just to protect these young kids. And, you know, obviously they went overboard in that area, but, uh, yeah, we had a big brawl there and, you know, our, uh, our general manager and our uh, ownership group, the DeWitt said, you know, they came to the locker room after again. They said, don't worry, that'll never happen again. So yeah, we want to start getting our own, our own crew. Right. It's kind of like, it's kind of like an arms race, the WH at at that point, because now they've got, they they had just traded uh, to the NHL. They just traded uh, Vaclav Nedimansky and Tim Sheehy. And now they had uh-huh. Steve Durbano, uh, Frank Beaton, yeah. Dave Hansen, bad, yeah. news, bad News Bildo. And, well, I was listening yeah. to the game on that Thanksgiving night, and it was literally at the, the drop of the puck. Uh, five, yeah. five guys get jumped, including, like, Robbie Fator, who's like, you know, five, right. six or something. Yeah. And all heck yeah. breaks loose. Demers, I remember, throws basically throws the stick rack out in the ice. And yeah. Andy, McWilliams, embarrassing. Andy McWilliams is going yeah. ballistic and... I, I felt yeah. like from that point on, the WHA kind of changed, um, especially for that season and certainly the the Stinger's fortunes. Um, you end up in Indianapolis in an interesting um, circumstance, and you kind of then become kind of an answer to a couple of trivia questions, which is uh, who uh, played with Wayne Gretzky as a rookie and, and Gordie Howe in his last year. You also played with Mark Messier as a rookie. But um, I was curious... Uh, what your thoughts were of a 17 year old Wayne Gretzky, you know, when he came to Indy. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. Uh, well, you know how Wayne plays. He's not. And I explained this to, uh, to a lot of Americans that are kind of naive about hockey. Uh, he's not like magic Johnson. He's like Larry bird. And so he, he, he you, know, you know how he played, right. He uses his head. I mean, he was, I was average skater, average shot. Everything was average about him, except his brain. He, I think he's the smartest hockey player that ever played the game. And uh, he had good edge work too. But uh, I think uh, his biggest asset was how smart he was. Right. And, I think uh, that's, that's a good. So really, yeah, it's a good analogy between uh, Gretzky and Bird. That's a very good analogy. Yeah, and. Uh, so you really don't see that in practice, you know, and, uh, you know, he was skinny and you know, he said he had still had pimples. And, and if you look the way he skates, he, he, he doesn't have a perfect angle on, of his back. You know, he was hunched over a little too far and all right. But, uh, but as soon as the game started, right. is a different story. Then he could use his intellect and, and, uh, so yeah, you could tell it's just a matter of time. Do you remember Messier at all? He was such a quiet player when he first came over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you recall him at all? Yeah, uh, I think the first thing you, you rec- he was a big kid. 
uh, even at uh, 18 years old. Very, you know, he wasn't a big scorer back then, but uh, very strong in the puck. You know, uh, I think his 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 uh, skills developed a little later, but uh, but I never seen I never seen what happened to him. I I, I never seen that. I, I thought he'd be like a you know, second line, you know, kind of a tough, not a tough guy, but a grinding guy, right. maybe 15, 20 goals. But, you know, his, he had a great attitude. So you know, I thought he'd be a valuable player on a team, but never to that, <laughs> never to that amount. Right. No, I don't think you were alone on that. I don't, the Oilers drafted him in, in the second round the year after that. And he only had one goal in 52 games that year. Um, right, the, right. The dump in from center ice. So you, you never know. He's only 17. So, you know, who's right, to say? Yeah. That, that's incredible. Now, when you um, – when when Gretzky was traded, I heard this story a while ago. I think Larry Gordon said it, um, that Gretzky went to Edmonton with uh, Peter Driscoll and Ed Mio. However – yeah. I I also heard they had in originally wanted to have uh, Blaine Stout as part of that transaction. Did you ever hear that story? Yeah, I heard it from a scout. Oh, where the heck were we? I think it was the All Star Game in Hartford when, when after I retired. Right. I don't even know what year that would have been. And I ran into an Edmonton scout and said, uh, "Yeah, I was in the discussions." And then they wanted. Driscoll because uh, they needed some toughness. Right. And Pete, uh, remember Peter Driscoll? He was kind of a oh, yeah, tough guy. So so they uh, they uh, decided to get a little more toughness because they thought they had enough goal scoring. But yeah, <laughs> what, <laughs> what a career changer that would have been for me. That's for sure. You never know. But you know, <laughs> interestingly enough, you do uh, end up with the WHA, uh, a very stable franchise. Uh, in the New England Whalers, who pick you up when the ra- yeah. when the races go under. But I was curious, uh, Andrew, when you first came over to uh, Hartford, then playing in Springfield, uh, what your thoughts yeah. were of the franchise and how things kind of flowed for you that first year in uh, New England. Uh, I don't know how many goals I scored the first year, but uh, well, we had Gordy and uh, there's a lot of vets on our team, John McKenzie, and, and I was I think I was playing on the third line and. Uh, I mean, who my center was, but, uh, Bill Deneen, uh, I respect him. He's, he's a tough guy. He, uh, he, he made me earn my ice time. And, uh, he, he liked also like defensive players to play, you know, you got to play good defense to play right. for him. So, uh, uh, I struggled a little bit. Uh, I don't think he really, you know, I, I didn't have his trust, you know, to put me out there in certain situations. So, uh, I don't know how many goals I scored that year, but then uh, uh, we had Larry Plo, and and uh, he was a little more lenient in terms of uh, letting me play my own game. And then, uh, and then when Don Blackburn uh, became coach, that's when I really excelled because he understood my mindset, and and that's what made me hungry to play hockey was to score goals. Right. Uh, I mean, any uh, I could I could be a checker. It's not that hard to do, but it didn't excite me. It didn't. It just wasn't in my genes to be, <laughs> right. to be a, a checker. So, and that's when I really flourished under Don Blackburn. And we, we had a system where 
you know, I could get in deep all the time and one of the other two guys would stay high. So they to cover for me from being in deep all the time. So yeah, it worked out good. Very few players came over to the NHL, especially veteran players who dramatically increased their production. And you were one of the very few. Mike Rogers was another, not coincidentally. Um, yeah. So you go into 79-80, you end up with an amazing 56 goals, tied for the league lead with Charlie Simmer, Danny Gare, 100 points, uh, teaming with Mike Rogers and eventually Pat Boutet, Stash Bash and Dash Line. It had to be a special season for you, year one, back in the NHL. Yeah, it really was. Uh, it was ironic. I was playing uh, center with uh, oh, Andre... Andre Lacroix. Yeah, I was playing center with Andre Lacroix, and uh, we were playing in uh, in Colorado, and uh, we were down uh, like three to two or something with a minute to go, and Blackie put me and Mike Rogers out there, and and we scored the uh, winner. I mean the tie goal, tying goal, and so the next practice he put us together, and boom, we just we. We just took off. We just had some unique chemistry that yeah, sure you just did. don't you don't you don't see it in practice. There's no way to know when something's going to click like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it was accidental actually. Both, both you guys hit the hundred point mark, um, and again, that was rare at the time because most of the guys came over. You know, it's a little different league, whether it be Real Cloutier or Anders Hedberg, whatever. Uh, you know, numbers went down a little bit. League's a little more defensive. Yeah. And uh, but your scoring just exploded. Now, um, it's also uh, well, it it helped. I think it helped me that like Cloutier and those guys, they never played in the NHL before, though. Right. They went like from junior to the WHA. Good point. And I and I played it before, so I think I had a little advantage on uh, those guys. Like same as Dennis Sobchak. He went from junior, I think, to Phoenix in the WHA, but he never played in the NHL, and uh, uh, he struggled too. So I think that might have been an advantage that I, I had a couple of years in the NHL uh, when I was younger. WHA was pretty good by the time the league was over. You only had six teams, a lot of, a lot of good yeah. young talent. How would you compare the two from a, playing, from a player standpoint? Well, obviously it was uh, more wide open, and uh, they the the WHA, they would, I think, they didn't focus on uh, good defensive defensemen enough. Most of the, they, they like guys that can move the puck, score points, it, uh, you know, it just sells tickets, it's more entertaining. And I think that that was the, uh, the goal of a lot of the owners and general managers is to create more offense and, uh, and from the defensive side, you know, when you create more more production, you got to have uh, skilled D. Not necessarily they're not great in their own end, but they can move the puck and and uh, be effective as a uh, fourth forward in the offensive zone. So uh, I think that was part of their their uh, game plan. Well, after that great seventy nine eighty campaign, you discover a loophole in your player's contract that leads you to become a restricted free agent in missing the first month or so of the 1980-81 season. Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> when the merger came, uh, the 
the commissioner sent all the agents, all the general managers that uh, our every WHA contract, right, should be the same terms and everything, but you got to be put on an NHL contract. And uh, my WHA contract said there's no compensation for me, right? Once my contract expired, there was no compensation. Right. So basically, I want to be a free agent with no compensation. And their argument, well, when you sign an NHL contract, there is compensation. And my argument was, well, you never signed me to one. So under the contract I have signed, there's no compensation. I can sign with any team I want. And that's, that's why, that's why I went to court to try and be, I want to be, a, uh, my goal is to be a free agent with no compensation. Right. And, uh, and the commissioner ruled against it. Well, once you rejoined the lineup that year, you had another very productive year with Mike Rogers. However, to begin the following season, 81, 82, Mike Rogers is traded away, but he's replaced by a young kid from Sault Ste. Marie, Ron Francis. Uh, well, we got along right away on and off the ice. Uh, I I was a little older, uh, like 26 maybe, but uh, he uh, I got along with his parents real well. They would they would always call call me and hey, how's Ron doing? You know, uh, so we kept in good contact with his parents because you know he's 18, you know, living in the states. They were worried about him, so I. Uh, I kind of kept an eye on him, make sure everything was okay off the ice. And, uh, but regarding, uh, on the ice, I could tell, you know, our first practice, he, he, I never thought he'd be like that, how good he ended up. But I knew this guy was a first line all-star center. And I could tell after the very first practice, every, uh, when he passed, it was on my stick every time I didn't have to move it. And they were hard to, so he, he could pass the puck hard right on the tape every time. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I just told him a little bit how I like to play and, and like, I don't like to carry the puck that much. And he said, great. Cause you know, he loved carrying the puck and he was good at it. Right. So just come, come out of our own man. My job, uh, was to get on the boards and try and get him the puck and then let him do the work till we got over the offensive blue line. And, uh, that was right. That was his niche too. He, he loved carrying the puck through the neutral zone and he had great vision. He's strong. So we are the chemistry was just perfect. We, we got along great on and off the ice. So yeah, he's a good guy, real great guy. Well, playing alongside Ron Francis, you returned to the 50 goal plateau. However, the next season, once again, as you did in 8081, you missed pretty much the first month of the season, this time due to a suspension over an incident with, the notorious Paul Baxter in Johnstown, PA. Yeah. Well, we had a history long before the NHL. Uh, I played with uh, Slim Flon Bombers, and he played for the Winnipeg Jets. And that was a huge rivalry when the uh, the old building in Winnipeg uh, held like 10-5, I think. And when we came there to play uh, Winnipeg, the rink was sold out every game when Slim Flon came to town. And, uh, you know, Paul, as he is, you know, he's, and I was a big goal scorer back then. So he, he was always trying to intimidate me. So 
me and him had a history going back to when we were 17 years old. And, uh, you know, you know, after you retire, you're all, everybody's good friends, but right. I don't, he didn't like me then. And I didn't like, you know, we didn't like each other back then. Right. And, uh, so the ice we were playing in, uh, what the hell is that town? Uh, where they filmed slap shot, uh, Johnstown, Johnstown. Yeah. So we're playing in Johnstown, you know, you know what that rink's like right. and the ice was just awful. So the two, uh, captains met before the game and they said, Hey guys, let's just, you know, play like it's a practice, you know, you don't hit each other, make good passes, play hard, but don't run anybody. You know, Cause the ice is so bad. So sure enough, I'm out there right, and Paul's out there. So I'm going to the neutral zone and there's water. Uh, you know, I, I could stick hand without looking at the puck when I was 16. So, you know, I'm not going to put my head down if the ice is good, but the the puck hit hit some water and it slowed down and went into my feet. And I looked down to to see where the puck was. Here he came across and ran me. So, I mean, I just you know, actually, what happened to that? I probably don't even remember. But <laughs> I uh, I just looked up and he was skating behind the net. I skated fast as I could and just cross checked. And uh, that's what I got ten games for. Right, um, which uh, despite missing the ten games, you still end up with again well over, well over forty goals again, and yeah, things are uh, are, are going along well. However, at the beginning of the eighty three eighty four season, Whalers have a new regime, and your ice time gets reduced. Yeah, uh, it, and I was back to, you know, when I was playing for Jacques Demers. Uh, I I don't think they they liked my style of play. Uh, and uh, they talked to me about it, and I, I didn't tell them why I wouldn't I wouldn't change because, but I, you know, I've just told you because I'd learned my lesson once already. Right. And uh, I, I basically said, listen, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, I don't enjoy playing like a one-two-two. I mean, for me to stand out in the blue line playing a one-two-two is, is not my game. I get bored. I don't feel challenged. Right. And. Uh, I have to play a two-one game, and they said, "Oh, that's not going to happen here." And blah 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 blah. I said, "Well, man, no, I'm going to keep playing." And then, so they put me down one line. I I keep playing the same way, and then uh, you know, eventually uh, it came to. They said, "Well, we're going to have to trade you." And I said, "Fine." Um, now I'm going to pick that up in one minute. But one story I forgot to ask you about real quickly was the end of the previous season, the last game of the previous season. Uh, the Whalers are in the running for having the worst record in the league at that point. Um, but you play Buffalo. You've got a penalty shot. And being Blaine Stoughton, you're pretty relaxed about your about your chances of getting this goal. Uh, John, yeah. Cunniff, John Cunniff on the bench, not so relaxed. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of re recall that story? Yeah, it's funny. I... Uh... I got, uh, I think I had a breakaway with about 50 seconds to go or something. And uh, I got tripped. So they, you know, they point to center ice. So I go, uh, I go over the bench and, uh, they're getting the puck ready. And I think there's about maybe 45 seconds, a minute, uh, before I'm going to take the shot. And so I stand by the boards and, uh, uh, John, he's, he's pacing up and down the bench, you know, biting his fingernails and everything. <laughs> I said, John, what's the matter? 
He said, what do you mean? What's the matter? I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to score. I said, but actually, I'll tell you where I'm going to score. He says, would you be serious for one second? This is the <laughs> NHL. <laughs> I'm going to ah, don't worry about it. So, I said, I said, hey, 10 bucks. I'll score on the low stick side. He says, you know, he, he's just going ballistic because he couldn't believe how, how relaxed I was and everything. He was all nervous. So, yeah. So, sure enough, I go in there and I kind of dip my shoulder like I was going to go five hole. And uh, he closed the five hole and I, just, I threw it right along the ice and the stick side. So, uh, we went in the locker room. We just, every, we had you know, fun with that with all the guys because they, they heard me on the bench talking to John. So, we, uh, we had, we had a good time with that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I can picture that. Uh, I can picture Cunny being a little, little uh, type A. And, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so it was, uh, he, he was uh, he was a good man. Um, yeah, you, you, you just reminded me of a story, however, I wanted to clear up for our, our listeners because I didn't actually know this until uh, I had heard the story about seven or eight years ago. Um, how you actually earned that nickname Stash. I always assumed just because you always had the stash going, but in fact, it, that wasn't the case. No, no. Uh, uh, when I was playing in Toronto, uh, I forget who we were playing, but uh, you ever notice in a, you know, in a tight game, guys, that, you know, they get nervous and they're, they throw the puck away all the time. I, you know, I think a lot of times they're afraid of failure. You know, and you know, I was a goal scorer ever since I was fourteen or fifteen. Right. And uh, I mean, I've had breakaways and lost games, and missed open nets and lost games. So I was kind of used to that environment. So we uh, we were playing in Toronto. The guys were passive all over the place. Nobody wanted to handle. And uh, I forget who we were playing. And it was like three three. And uh, I said, guys. Don't throw the puck away in the offense. Just give the effing puck to me, and I'll stash in the net, and we'll win. Go home, have a couple of beers. <laughs> so sure, sure enough, that's what happened. So then, uh, Daryl Sittler, uh, he nicknamed me, nicknamed me Stash. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know the Sittler gave you that that nickname. It has cer- yeah. certainly stuck uh, over the yeah. years. Well, the trading deadline in 1984, conclusion of the 83-84 season. You're sent to the New York Rangers for Scott Klandorst, where your coach is Herb Brooks, who is still adjusting to coaching uh, pro players after his great success at the amateur level. And I remember one anecdote vaguely, which included a limo and runway models, share, uh, Barry Beck. Uh, could you ref- refresh my memory on that story? Yeah, it was funny because uh, I was – commuting from Hartford. Uh, I, I would stay one day in the hotel. So I'd practice, stay a night in the hotel, then practice, then I'd drive home. So I, I was kind of commuting back and forth from Hartford. So I'd get there early in the morning. And uh, it was about oh, maybe 9 o'clock, and the practice was at uh, 11. And I was just sitting there reading the paper. And uh, in the paper it said, uh, I mean, they used to have page 6. I don't know if they have any more. In oh, yeah. the New York Post, right. the, and it's, it's it's talking about what's going on in the social world and nightclubs and that. So I'm reading there. Said, oh my! God. Said last night, Gresh, Bubba, and Duke were see, see, seen at Studio 54 with Carol Walton, Cheryl Teagues, and Cher, and all. That. 
I'm going, oh my God, these guys, I'm thinking to myself, these guys aren't going to do well in practice today. <laughs> and so sure enough, uh, so then I'm sitting and her pulls up Scarborough, just, you know, BS and you know, how are you doing? How's the family and all that? And uh, he's facing me and, uh, and I'm looking out towards the parking lot and he's looking at me. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever been there, but uh, right. towards the, the ocean there and I'm looking out towards the park <laughs> and here comes this limo around the corner and the music, <laughs> you know, when you, you've, you've had a couple of cold ones, how so you, you know, you turn that music up a little. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and he, he heard, here's this music. He looked, turns around and the three girls get out of the car first. Cheryl Teagues, uh, Alt and, uh, Cher. Well, the three of them, they get out of the, they get out of the limo <laughs> and the smoke's coming out of there. And they're at <laughs> so, I just stared at Herb's face. Oh my! He, he went completely white. His face went completely white. I can imagine. Anyway, yeah. So, so they went to practice. They they got kicked off practice and stuff. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, and, it was, you know, from my perspective, it was hilarious. Hilarious. I don't think it was from Herb's. No, a little culture shock from uh, coaching college kids to uh, <laughs> yeah uh, Studio yeah, Fifty Four. Yeah, he he struggled. Yeah. Now, despite the fact you were still. A productive goal scorer, uh, you're cut out of training camp with the Rangers the following season and spend the entire year with the New Haven Nighthawks of the American Hockey League. Had to be a, uh, a disappointing season for you to end your pro career uh, in New Haven with the Nighthawks. Yes and no. Uh, you know, I went through so many guys that retired, and uh, and I had two young kids then. And uh, Sydney, we always said. Whenever the last year came, we were going to enjoy it, don't matter, you know, where we are or wherever. So right. we made the best of it. You know, I was busy with the, you know, you got two kids, you know, what that's like. So uh, we enjoyed our last, uh, that time in New Haven. And a lot of people didn't know this, but uh, I, I pulled my uh, stomach muscle in, in, in training camp in New York. And, uh, you know, the sports hernia, they didn't even call it that back then. But, right. And uh, I had that, and I couldn't get rid of it either. I mean, I, I should have stopped playing, but I thought, hey, you know, I'll just I'll just push through. And, and actually, after I, uh, when I retired, I was living in Florida. It was sore for like three, because I played tennis. It was sore for three years after I, I quit playing. Wow. I just couldn't get rid of it. It's also one of those is one of those injuries that nobody can see, and you no. reminded me of uh, Sylvain Turgeon, who in 1986 yeah. had a similar injury, and you know a lot of people were accusing of malingering out there and dogging it, and he kept insisting he was in a lot of pain and he couldn't shake yeah. it, and uh, but that that's yeah. interesting. I didn't know you had uh, you had no. dealt with that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You end up. Um, uh, coaching, you end up actually uh, owning a team in Austin, Texas. Uh, you come back, yeah. come back to New England eventually, um, and you coach with Joel Quenville with Springfield for a couple of years. Yeah. Now Joel is, of course, second all time right now. I believe in coaching wins at the NHL. It's curious mm -hmm. if uh, you saw those qualities in his first year of coaching that would end up. Uh, so he would end up where he is right right now with Chicago. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, clean was, you know, uh, not the greatest skilled guy uh, in his playing days, but he was very intelligent. He was always in the right position, made the right plays, uh, just, you know, a smart player. And, uh, when, uh, when I coached him that year, he was very prepared. No, like probably knew the game better than I did. And, uh, very dedicated. His, the team was always ready. You know, he had them ready to play. There was no, they didn't know what they were doing or what's my assignment. Everybody knew what their job was. Everybody knew the assignments. Everybody knew the system. So, uh, now once again, I never thought he'd be this successful, but, uh, I, you know, after about three months, I knew he was going to be an NHL coach. Right. I actually thought it was going to be, in, I thought it was going to be in Hartford, but, uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. He deserves. You know, he need uh, deserves all the accolades he gets. He's re- real smart guy. Well, I'm glad to see that you and Cindy and your family have settled in in the Cincinnati area. You know, recently I was um, managing a hockey camp up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Ran into a, uh, a family who play hockey in the Cincinnati area, and they tell me that your granddaughter is uh, quite a young hockey player. Yeah, she's doing good. She uh, she's eight. She plays on a boys' travel team. So, oh good. Uh, does she has we'll the uh, you know, does she have the uh, killer instinct uh, from the blue line in as her grandfather? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, she like she likes she likes scoring, and uh, she's got you know she's got good instincts. But uh, the best part is she's aggressive. You know, even with the boys. Right. Yeah. You know, when she falls down, she just gets rated back up, and she battles in the corners. So, uh, I think she's got that uh, competitive spirit in her too, which you know any athlete has to have. Right. Oh, absolutely. And scoring goals, it's not easy work. You know, it's 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 another no. part of the game. But you you have to be extremely physical, I mean, especially yourself. If you look back at your career in Hartford, for example, where kind of didn't get the, the, the recognition around the league simply because you're playing in Hartford. But, um, yeah. you know, when you're scoring goals and you're kind of the goal scoring on the team, then you're getting a lot of attention from, from a lot of good defensive players, a lot of good physical players on the other team. Um, so, you know, yeah. it's, it takes a lot of work and obviously something you took pride in and something you uh, certainly excelled at. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my, my wife, you know, she's from Cincinnati. and uh, She didn't know that much about hockey. And she'd always say, why are you letting those guys hit you like that? Why don't you hit them back and everything? I said, well, I can score 20 goals a year or I can score 50. If I hit them back, right, I'm in the penalty box all the time, I'll score 20. Right. <laughs> it, took her about, it took her about five years to, to understand what I was doing in front of the net. When you're in front of that net and you're in the, those scoring areas, especially back then where interference yeah. was uh, a lot more liberal Getting from point A oh, to point B yeah. was, you know, it yeah. was difficult. And yeah, no, yeah, games changed a lot now, and it's actually for the better, I guess. But uh, I really enjoy watching it now. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, hockey's it's great. These guys are, you know, like you know, I I I use the analogy that we when I played we were hockey players, right? These guys are athletes. Yes, these guys are playing now. You know. We just we played hockey and that was it. Right. But these these guys are just unbelievable athletes, and it shows on the ice. Yeah, the, the pace of the game is 
mind-boggling sometimes, especially you watch it now on a yeah. high-definition high TV. And, yeah. you know, these guys are just flying. They're in shape 12 months a year. Um, mm -hmm. So it's a, a little bit different. Um, just had a couple more quick questions for you. I was curious if you uh, – I know back in the day uh, with the Whalers, uh, you were good friends with guys like Pierre LaRouche, uh, Russ Anderson, uh, Kotze. Uh, do you ever stay in touch with uh, any of your former Whaler teammates? Yeah, actually, I seen I seen Pierre about three weeks ago. We were in uh, my daughter was playing. I mean, my granddaughter was playing in Pittsburgh. I seen him, and wow. I talked to Kotze and Russ all the time. Uh, yeah, Mike Leute. Yeah, I keep in touch. That's good. Peter Marsh. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we keep in touch. Mostly, I see him in the summertime. Uh, uh, like I go to Chicago every year. The, the, there's a horse race there, the Arlington Million. Yeah. And uh, I always go to Chicago and we go to the Cubs game and go to the Arlington Million. I see Peter there. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's fun talking about old times. Absolutely. There's a lot of fun things to talk about. And, of course, if, yeah. I, had, if I had another two hours, I could keep asking you questions and hearing them, but I won't do that to you. Um, <laughs> I do appreciate uh, taking the time today, and I know the fans do as well. We always keep track of you and uh, on, on Facebook, of course, and every time I can – dig up some old video for the for the WHA site and, and what have you. I, I always uh, enjoy putting up some, some Blaine Stout and highlights up there online. So um, we'll continue to uh, search the archives for... Uh, uh, I, I appreciate that. Well, Stash, it was great to catch up with you. It's been a few years and you're a big part of Hartford hockey history, big part of Cincinnati hockey history. We really appreciated uh, you taking the time today. Enjoyed the heck out of watching you play as a player and um, hope to get a chance to talk to you again real soon. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm glad to do it. All right, Blaine. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Pro Hockey Alumni Podcast. Be sure to visit us at ProHockeyAlumni.org.